everyone. Welcome back to Adhering Apologetics. It's always about to you to support Patreon.com. Um, today we have a really fun video, and we're going to be responding to Cosmic Skeptics' recent video, the first part of it, on animal suffering. I have the dry apologist, Caleb, and apologetics for all YouTube channel hosts, Joshua Yen. How's it going, guys? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm good. Awesome. So I'm really pumped for this. We're going to look through the first part of this video before we respond to William Lane Craig. Um, it's a good video by Alex on animal suffering. Um, we're going to go through it. Um, do you guys want to give like really brief intros before we go into this response? Start with Josh. Um, sure. Oh, Josh, you want to go? I'm just glad to be here. I guess it's a good morning in Hong Kong. Over here, I think it's probably night for you guys, but just, yeah, it's a good day. Glad to be here. Cool. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I had a discussion with Zach a while back on the problem of animal suffering, so I would definitely encourage um, listeners to listen to that as well, um, just so you have more context and my ideas on that, but yeah thanks for having me mm -hmm. yeah i thought of josh because josh is amazing he's always on the channel um and then caleb because i did that interview with him um a few months ago now on animal suffering and talked about that um but with that being said we're going to just go right in and listen to this video we're going to play the first part where he introduces the problem because alex does a great job of doing that and then we're going to specifically respond to the second part where he kind of defends the problem so to speak but we're going to get this thing going now, I know that it's quite a bold claim that I've made in the title to have put my finger on the single biggest problem that Christianity as a religion faces. But let me explain. I want to put forward in this video what I think is the hardest objection to respond to if you're a Christian. Now, as you're probably already the most famous problem you have, if you want to say that the Christian God, that is an all-loving, all-powerful God, exists, is the positively colossal amount of suffering infused into the human experience. Suffering is so omnipresent that most of our time spent existing is time spent trying to avoid it. Eating to avoid starvation, working to avoid poverty, sleeping to avoid fatigue, watching YouTube videos to avoid whatever it is that you're supposed to be doing right now. And that's when things are going well in life. God also throws into the bargain of living existence, which nobody agrees to enter into, by the way, unpredictable diseases, miscarriages, natural disasters, and the existence of TikTok. Why would an all-powerful God, who truly loves us, permit such suffering to overwhelm our living existence? And this problem for religion is called, as you'll likely know, the problem of evil. But there's something missing from this picture. I'm not just here to restate the problem of evil as if it's anything new. There's something else. There exists such an obvious and overwhelming version of the problem of evil that it bemuses me that so many philosophers leave it entirely out of the discussion, or at best relegate it to a passing paragraph or a footnote or something. I'm talking, of course, about the problem of animal suffering. Now, before you think I'm just getting all vegan on you again, don't worry, that's not what this is. I know how sensitive some of you are to me pointing out that our own treatment of animals is so poor that it almost reaches godlike proportions, but that's not what I'm here to talk about today. Right. Animals suffering in factory farms, for instance, can easily be explained away by the Christian as a result of human free will. I'm talking about something else. Right? I'm talking about the suffering of animals that isn't human created. 
the suffering that exists in the wild as a result of natural processes. And by the way, the reason this video is called Christianity's Biggest Problem, specifically, rather than just religion's biggest problem, is because I actually think that some other religions, like Islam, have bigger problems than animal suffering. But animal suffering is still a problem for other religions like Islam, so although in this video I'm going to respond to William Lane Craig, a Christian, on the subject, do bear in mind that these arguments should apply to any god who claims to be morally perfect. So this is the basis of my claim. If the problem of suffering is historically one of Christianity's biggest problems, then the problem of animal suffering is its biggest. So I should probably... So what do you guys think of Alex's treatment of um, overall, like the problem of animal suffering introducing it? Um, I think he does a pretty good job, but what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's fair to argue like that it's the biggest problem for Christianity, at least intellectually, because I hear that from others as well, and it is under-addressed compared to like human suffering. So I don't know if I necessarily agree that it's the toughest intellectual problem, but I can agree that, you know, it's up there. So I think it's pretty fair. I completely agree with Caleb. I think, thank you, Jesus, might have solved the entire problem in the chat by saying, what if animals <laughs> don't have a soul? But then, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's. I think Alex, I, I actually have quite a lot of respect for Alex. He, he does do quite a decent summarizing of most different stuff in like the YouTube atheist realm. And I, I, I think he just does quite a good job summarizing the problem and also presenting it. And I do agree with uh, Caleb when he says uh, it is indeed like one of the biggest problems, like suffering is always probably the biggest problem instead of argument. Because sometimes I think that logically or like philosophically speaking, problem of evil and suffering isn't necessarily the strongest philosophical argument, but it definitely is the biggest, I think, emotional problem with Christianity as well at the same time. So I definitely agree with everything that's been said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Alex does a good job of framing the problem. And as we get into this video, um, he does a good job of presenting it and making a compelling case for it. Um, he's, he's a good speaker and he makes good arguments. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, and it's just, I think it's underdeveloped because a lot of the times, um, like the Odyssey deal with like, why do you watch humans experience evil? Um, and it's definitely something that's underdeveloped among like philosophers and stuff thinking about animal suffering. Um, but if you guys don't have anything else to say, we'll kind of jump into this video. And then I have kind of like marks where I was planning on pausing. But if you want to pause a certain spot, just yell at me and I'll pause the video. Um, and we'll get going if that sounds good to you guys. Splendid. All right, let's do it. Probably begin by unpacking why animal suffering is such a problem worth addressing in the first place. Human life is, as I've argued, infused with pain. Then non-human animal life is defined by pain. Animals in the wild are subject to endless torment from all angles of their existence. They suffer from predation by other animals. Wild dogs disembowel their prey. Venomous snakes cause slow internal bleeding and paralysis. Crocodiles drown large animals in their jaws. Right? And animals also suffer from rampant disease, dehydration, and starvation. They have to contend with forest fires and floods and a whole manner of other terrifying natural disasters. Dave Attenborough, the celebrated nature documentary filmmaker, once said about his documentaries, people who accuse us of putting in too much violence should see what we leave on the cutting room floor. Nature. What do you guys think of this first bit um, where Alex kind of talks about just like there's just such like a high quantity of animal suffering um, and it's just such a common thing? What are you guys' thoughts on this idea? 
I think that that's fair. I think there is a concern, though, that sometimes I see people saying, like, well, there's just so many examples, but it kind of comes down to, um, I guess, once the Odyssey overall, because, like, you can cite mm -hmm. lots of examples, but if somebody doesn't see it as a problem, then having lots of examples isn't going to make it worse. But I don't have a problem with him doing that because, I mean, I think it is morally significant. Um, I just think that there can be, you know, I can see where somebody thinks like, um, you know, citing numerous examples doesn't necessarily make it worse, like logically speaking, but that's the only thing I would point out, but I don't really have a problem with anything you said. Yeah, completely agree with Caleb. I could say stuff later, I guess, when he develops mm -hmm. a bit more. Yeah, there's a lot to respond to. But I do think it's interesting to think about, um, like, what Caleb's talking about, because when we look at this problem, it's like, okay, well, let's say there's, like, um, 500 animals that suffer. Is that a problem? Or, like, 499 or 498 or 497 or 5 million? Like, it's hard to draw a line where it's like, well, if there's this many animals that suffer, then it's okay. Because um, it seems like, to me, at least, when I think about the problem, it's just kind of like, um animal suffering as a whole like there that there are animals that suffer um because i think it's hard to draw a line based off of the quantity of like well this would be an acceptable amount of animals that suffer so keep on going nature just really isn't a pretty place and not only do wild animals suffer in these extravagant ways that humans generally do not like having to live with the very real possibility of being more death at practically any moment it's also true that Compared to humans, an astronomically higher number of wild animals exist. So unfathomably high, in fact, that we can only estimate how big that number actually is. The number of wild vertebrates alone is thought to be somewhere between 10 to the power of 11 and 10 to the power of 14. That's 10 with at least 11 zeros after it. We're talking trillions of animals, each one of whom will, under the unerring supervision of an all-powerful, all-loving God, likely experience more fear devastation and suffering in their lifetimes than we human beings are even capable of imagining. So this is the problem that the Christian has to... So do you guys um, think that the quantity of animal suffering like weighs any like weight within terms of like the argument? Like it probably doesn't from like a logical perspective, but maybe like from like a more like evidential perspective, do you think it carries any weight with like the quantity of animals that are suffering? So I don't really think the quantity does necessarily kind of like what we were just talking about because like you said, like, where do you draw the line? Like, is a million morally different than a thousand? But I do think, I can definitely see from, like, an evolutionary standpoint, like, at some point you could say, like, well, you know, why would it, why would God allow millions of years of it? But then again, it just comes down to, like, what one's view is. I, I don't, yeah, I don't think that the number is that significant. I think it's more of, yeah, kind of queer, just saying. I don't know that the number makes it that much significant, but I can see where it could seem that way. Yeah, actually, I think, I kind of like feel that even if it was just one animal suffering, it would be sufficient to prove his case. It's like something what uh, Dostoevsky says in uh, the Grand Inquisitor, where Ivan says, if only, even if there's only one kid which gets torn to pieces by dogs, I would, I would say that's sufficient for me to reject the ticket to God, like even if God existed. And I, and I think that that is perhaps the best way to put it. Like, why? What's the point in saying there's a million people suffering? If it true, if if animal suffering was truly such a big problem, shouldn't just one person suffering that significantly already demonstrate the the point already? Like, it's not like, yeah, maybe there's a million other people suffering, but like one person suffering on your argument is already sufficient for your argument to work. I think. But and then that's why we raised the odysseys. Yeah.
That's what I think. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it might like the the quantity of animals may help like the evidential weight, but in terms of like the logical problem, I don't think it really does much work. Um, but we'll keep going here. Uh, Spartan theology, Danny. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, everyone who's joined us, thank you so much. Have to contend with. How can God permit such insidious levels of unthinkable suffering? Well, it's not like Christians don't have a response to the problem of evil. There are many quite famous attempts to reconcile the existence of evil with a loving God. The problem is that a great many of these attempts, which are known as theodicies, by the way, simply don't apply to non-humans. For instance, one popular theodicy states that evil and suffering exists as a result of human free will. Right? If humans are genuinely free, they'll sometimes commit and permit evil. But this doesn't explain why a tree falls onto a deer's leg, causing it to starve to death in confused agony. Right? It's also sometimes asserted that human suffering is justified because it will be compensated for in the afterlife. But unless you believe in some doggy heaven or that Jesus died for the sake of your pet hamster's sins too, this also doesn't really fly for animals. What do you guys think of this part of Alex's video? I think it gets a little bit more interesting here. Um, it might be helpful. I know at least for Caleb, you have kind of like a unique theodicy when dealing with these things. So feel free to like introduce mm -hmm. that if you need to as well, Caleb. Yeah, there's a lot of different areas because like he he is fair to point out that like some of the more standard theodicies don't apply directly, but it's not really fair because there have been attempts to apply those theodicies to animal suffering, like the free will theodicy, like whether you find it plausible or not, there are defenders who argue that like the free will of fallen angels are the cause of natural evils. And I think that's not the theodicy I prefer, but there are some more plausible ways of defending that theodicy that would um, be able to account for animal suffering. So it's a little bit unfair. And then he also says like, well, unless you believe in a doggy heaven. The thing is, though, that there have been notable Christians who have defended an animal afterlife. Like, for example, um, so I have a quote here from um, John Calvin. Even, I mean, this is before evolution and such. He said, in regards to Romans 8, Paul does not mean that all creatures will be partakers of the same glory with the sons of God, but they will all share in their own manner in the better state, because God will restore the present fallen world to perfect condition at the same time as the human race. So that comes from Calvin's commentaries um, on the epistles of Paul on Romans and Thessalonians, and that can be found in Michael Murray's book, Nature, Red and Tooth and Claw. And then um, there are other examples too, like John Wesley. I recommend somebody read, you can find this online. He has a sermon called The General Deliverance. He makes it very clear that animals will be a part of the afterlife to compensate for their suffering. And again, these are people that are writing quite a long time ago. And there are major um, philosophers like Trent Doherty, um, C.S. Lewis considered it. I mean, there are defenders, David Bentley Hart, there are defenders of an animal afterlife. It hasn't been the majority position, but it's not a ludicrous idea that, you know, God's going to recreate the new heavens and new earth. And we find that like in Romans 8, Isaiah 11, it's not implausible at all that animals will partake of the afterlife. So if that's, you know, a cosmic skeptic seems to imply that's a plausible response. It's just that Christians don't defend that. That's just not true. I mean, there have been major Christian thinkers who have defended that idea. So I'll let Josh go. Yeah, God has his own pets in heaven, also known as the angels and the cherubim. But 
but yeah, I, I mean, I think yeah, I completely agree. It, de- it depends on the theodicy you raise in like, what I like to think sometimes about the natural evil is that like, you could see natural evil causes certain problems, but at the same time, natural evil is a result of other things which kind of help humanity. It's like, okay, there's a flood, uh, like some animals drown to death and their houses are destroyed. Well, what caused that flood? That's because there's rain and rain kind of rained a little too much. But then what also does rain do? Rain also provides food for your crops or, I mean, water for your crops. And also like avalanches or use an example, a tree falling on a, a deer leg, a, a deer's leg or something like that. What caused that? Well, that's gravity. Well, aren't we all quite lucky that gravity does exist? Otherwise we'd be floating up to space if you got what I mean. It's like, yeah, the, the, the natural disasters caused by natural laws are indeed like, like problematic, but at the same time, the natural laws are necessary to sustain human life. So it's like, is human life better or even animal life better than the suffering which is caused by the disasters? Like, I think there's like, you can't just say, I want the good things from the, from the laws, but, but then like, I'm not going to accept the consequences for the same laws, which like sustain you. So I think there's like a quite a good balance there, if you got what I mean. Mm-hmm. I read an interesting paper from, um, it was Josh Rasmussen, and I have it here. Who, and it's linked down below for people that are listening. Um, I don't have the other author on. It's in the book. Josh Rasmussen, someone else wrote a paper in 2014 on evolutionary evil and kind of like what's going on with this problem. Um, and they talk about a lot of these different like philosophers who have, would have agree with some sort of like an animal afterlife. And like there's people that would argue like John Polkinghorne who says that a world allowed to make itself through the evolutionary exploration of its potentiality is a better world than one that could proceed by a ready-made divine fiat. So it's just interesting here because I think that, um, I mean, I don't think Alex like thinks that no Christian has ever attempted to answer this problem. But it, there are a lot of Christians, like as Caleb was talking about, that have dealt with this problem of animal suffering. Um, but a lot of the theodicies have to either be modified um, or thought about differently um, with regards to like animal evil versus like natural evil, especially regards to, like the free will defense or something like that. Yeah, and that's also where I'll follow up on you had mentioned my theodicy earlier. And I know not everybody will necessarily agree with me, and I'll just defer to our discussion, Zach. And then I have a video on my channel that I recommend people watch, but I have a specific theodicy where I argue why, you know, the laws of our universe um, do bring about suffering. And um, it's more complicated, I have time to explain, but basically I I give a causal explanation as to why. So if somebody's wondering like, well, why don't we live in that heavenly universe now? You know, I have a worked out theory for that. So, and obviously, you know, cosmic skeptics not taking that into mind because he's probably not watched my video. He probably doesn't know who I am, but. Mm-hmm. Hey, Alex, if you're listening, you should know who Caleb the Dry Apologist is. Um, but we, if there are questions related to animal suffering that you guys have as you're listening to this live, feel free to ask. We'll hit a few if they're related to like, animal suffering on the way out. Um, but do you guys have like any thoughts you want to add before we go on to this next little bit of what Alex has to say? Splendid. Keep on going. It's also sometimes said that suffering exists because from it, more good can emerge. But what good emerges from animal suffering and the benefit animals? Most animals are non-rational creatures, can't learn, intellectually grow in the same way that humans can. What greater good could possibly be served by allowing a koala bear to be burned alive in an Australian wildfire? Well, fear not, because in... 
I think this is the last bit of the video that we'll specifically respond to because then the rest of it is kind of like a response to William Lane Craig. Um, but what do you guys think about the question of what good is allowed by God allowing these like um, animal evils and especially gets into like these very intense um, instances of evil. So what are your guys' thoughts on this question? Yeah. And Josh, feel free to disagree with me on this if you do, but I actually don't. And I've talked to Zach about this in the past. I don't think appealing to greater goods coming from animal suffering is going to be the most plausible approach. I mean, it's certainly possible, like under skeptical theism or something, that there is some greater good that we don't, um, we're not totally aware of. But I mean, I agree basically with William Rose's argument that it seems like pretty unlikely that every instance of suffering, particularly animal suffering, is going to bring about some direct good. And that's why the theodicy I defend is doesn't appeal to that. Not all theodicies do. So, yeah, that's the. So, I mean, I would concede, yeah, I don't think there is a particular greater good. I think we live in a fallen world where um, there aren't greater goods that come from every event, but, you know, God has a sufficient reason for that. Um, again, I defend that with my own theodicy, but there are different theodicies. But, but there are defenders who will argue that, you know, there are these greater goods that come, and, and it just depends upon what theodicy you're attracted to. Um, but that, that's how I would respond, though. I would just, I just would say that's just a non-issue for certain theodicies. I mean, I guess in response to that, and I guess I saw some comments in the, in the comment section as well. It's like, yeah, I would agree that I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm just completely appealing to the greater good. Instead, perhaps it's just saying, well, these laws of nature are what allow humans to live. Like, if you, regardless of what. Perhaps you could, I could have phrased it better. Perhaps I should say just laws of nature are required for the functioning of the universe. And then from that, you could perhaps see that, well, these functioning laws lead to both natural disasters or, or just human life. I mean, you could have either of them not like being good or bad or whatever, right? But like, I think at least in su to some degree, you would suggest that, well, existing or perhaps human existence is is just as important or and i guess this leads to the greater good thing but then you would perhaps suggest that animal and human existence or life as a story itself is at least as balanced or as equal to the suffering in this world like i mean yes it, it is appealing to some sense of greater good but i mean the fact that we are alive like you could perhaps ask the question, well, would you rather not be alive and have just never existed at all, even if like there's some big suffering? And I think that there's some response. Someone, Danny in the, like Danny in the comments said something like, "Laws don't explain accidental events." I think they do in the sense that the deer example, if a tree falls down on uh, someone's leg, or that that would be a result of the laws of nature, if you get what I mean. Like the law. Uh, I, I, I find it very hard to see how you could have gravity and these laws without having a tree fall down. And, and it's very hard to see why you could have a tree fall down, but also ensure the, that necessarily nothing is underneath the tree at the same time, right? Like, I think it's very, I think it's very difficult to suggest that you could have these laws of nature, but then not accept the full consequences of the laws of nature. And of course, so I would allow someone to get out of my theodicy by just saying, well, let's just rather have humans not exist at all. And I'm happy with that. But like, if you have the opportunity of humans existing and suffering happens or humans do not exist and, 
and then there is no suffering, then, I mean, if they accept the second hypothesis, sure, let them accept it. But then I, I don't see why one hypothesis is any worse than another hypothesis, if you got what I mean, mm -hmm. just like as there's a balance. An, there's an interesting theodicy um, in, in the paper that I was reading today um, with Josh Rasmussen and this person, I can't remember his name. Um, what's his name? Because he's um, Jordan Westling. And they're talking about animal suffering. And one of the like ideas they come up with, which is something that's in like the literature, um, is the idea that uh, creation through evolution allows for um, interconnectedness among animals and people. So it's a really interesting idea that I hadn't thought about much before, but it says that it helps us tie our identity in part due to like our biological ancestry. Because if you think about it, um, in that sense, like animals, humans, in some sense with the tree of life, we'd all be related to some degree. Um, because it would also argue like that something beautiful occurs when creation occurs in like a law-like manner with structure and order like Josh was talking about. And I think Cable would agree with like when you have an orderly universe, um, it, it's just simpler and more beautiful. Um, and it, I think there, it's just an interesting idea um, that kind of have this idea that we could be tied back into the cosmos itself. Um, so another kind of like interesting theodicy with regards to like um, animal suffering and such. Do you have anything you want to add, Caleb? Um, I mean, this is kind of the end of the part that we were going to respond to here. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I don't have a lot else to add. I would just, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Cosmic Skeptic did a good job presenting his position, but it is kind of like a real cursory overview. I mean, there actually has been a decent amount of literature written recently on this topic. Like, I'd recommend books like Trent Doherty's book, The Problem of Animal Pain, Nature Red and Tooth and Claw by Michael Murray, Thomism and the Problem of Animal Suffering by B. Kyle Keltz. I don't totally agree with everything that they argue, but like those are all pretty in-depth books that offer different theodicies and re responding to animal suffering. And of course, I have my own theodicy that I wrote a short um, self-published book on responding to animal suffering and um, the video on my channel again that summarizes it and you know and then but yeah it's just I feel like he's kind of he deals with it kind of at a real cursory overview which is fine I mean he, he's introducing it but I would really want to see him hash this out more in depth because like he he throws out like the the heaven theodicy now I don't think that would totally solve the problem of animal suffering but it almost sounds like he's saying if somebody believes in an animal afterlife that would that would basically largely respond to it but people just don't believe in that but the thing is there, there are major thinkers who do defend that idea so i really want to see him um engage with that i would love to debate him on this topic but again like i'm, I'm a nobody but like really um yeah the video is just very cursory overview and i hope people don't just stop with this video and then that's it so do you have anything you would add josh Caleb, if you're a nobody, I think my channel is a quant is like a quantum particle or something like that. But yeah, I, I think it just I completely agree with Caleb. It just depends on your approach with the Odyssey. And I don't think, yeah, just basically that. Also, I'm quite curious. Are we gonna hear a bit about your theodicy as well, Caleb? Or mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think it'd be good here. I, mm -hmm. I was gonna um, say, because we're kind of done responding, I think, to Alex here. Um so we could kick his um uh, face off the screen and yeah. put Caleb front and center here. Um, and we can just talk about like your theodicy with regards to um, the problem of animal suffering. So what's your theodicy, Caleb? Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll explain it, but I know that there are a lot of objections to it, and that's why I kind of hesitate. 
because it takes a little while to go through all the objections. But I did recently debate um, non-alchemist on it on his channel, so I'd recommend that as well. But basically, the way the theodicy works is that I argue that in creating, you know, any universe is going to necessarily have this system of physical laws, and that God, being the creator of the orders that system of laws according to his intellect and will. But if he was to fully conform the system of laws perfectly to his intellect or fully to his intellect and will, it would bring about this uh, universe that we imagine with like the new heavens and new earth where there's no suffering that Christians, you know, hope that, you know, um, have hope that God is going to bring about one day. But it would also be a world in which humans are morally perfect and they would have to love God and love one another, which is, of course, is a very good thing. But I argue that people need to have the opportunity to freely decide if they want to enter into that kind of relation or not. So in order to achieve that setting, God has to create our initial universe, our pre-heavenly universe, with a system of laws that's only partially conformed to his intellect and will. But if the system of laws is only partially conformed to his intellect and will, then that's going to open the door to being things that God doesn't fully desire. And since God does desire for there to be animals in the um, new heavens and new earth, there's also going to be animals and humans in this uh, pre-heavenly universe. So you're still going to have a lot of the same general features and such. But again, some of the particular features that are brought about through the evolutionary process and so on, you know, there's going to be natural evils and such, again, because the system of laws is only partially conformed to God's intellect and will. And then that's just going to really, um, that, that leads to basically what Christians affirm, that we live in a fallen universe. So um, I know that's a lot to unpack, and there are a lot of objections. And again, I go through those with non-alchemists and then on my video, and I hope to write more about it, but that's, that's the gist of it. Um, one objection I just have really briefly through you, Caleb, not necessarily with the animal suffering, um, but with regards to like the unborn. So like, how do you think about like the, pro the question of like the unborn and like them not getting this chance um, in this life to kind of like freely choose between God or not? Yeah, that's a great point. And that I think is the strongest objection to the theodicy. And that's the one that non-alchemists and I probably have the biggest, um, or at least that seems to be his biggest hang up. And the way I would respond to that is that, so in creating, God is still intending for the universe to not have suffering when he partially, he creates this partial conformity. So any of the suffering and death and such isn't God's intention. But the whole point is that God intends for everybody to be able to make, have this opportunity for a, um, a free choice in how they respond to God's um, offer. So there are, of course, people who die before they're able to make that choice, but that's not God's intention. So in um, ethics, there's this principle called double effect, where if a bad consequence comes about, but it's not your intention, then, you're, then that person is not culpable for that side effect, assuming they were aiming for a greater good. So even so, God's not intending for unborn for anybody to die, um, let alone people to die young. That's just an unfortunate side effect. So it really comes down to God's intention, and His intention is for everybody to be able to have that opportunity. It's just to make that free decision, but unfortunately. Not everybody gets that opportunity, but then it's not like God is going to then be able to push people away from heaven. Um, their soul, I argue, isn't going to have any sort of causal barrier. So, you know, a child dies, their soul is going to go to um, live with God. 
So you could say that is a forced relation, but that's not God's intention. Um, and then that really gets into the weeds of the principle of double effect, but th that's how I'd respond. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything you want to add to this, Josh? Because um, we're kind of near the end of the road here um, with regards to like Caleb's theodicy or just anything you're thinking of with regards to animal suffering in Alex's video. I mean, I think we could return to the point that, who do you call it? Thank you, Jesus, Rose, at the beginning of the, th the thing, which is what if animals don't have a soul problem solved? Because I do think it has perhaps a bit more merit and is perhaps more simple than most things. Because I guess if you, I think with the problem of evil, what the atheist tries to do is tries to grant the Christian hypothesis and then from the Christian hypothesis demonstrate there's a problem with it. But then just... Just imagine a possible Christian hypothesis, doesn't have to be the one anyone subscribes to, but imagine there's a possible Christian hypothesis where animals are not at the same level or not does do not have the same worth as humans. And then if imagine if you grant that hypothesis, then even if there's way more animals suffering in the world, if the animals' worth themselves are significantly less than than humans' worth, then perhaps the suffering that animals face in large is actually significantly less if you want to compare suffering wise to to humans even though there's technically more suffering perhaps i don't know how you measure pain but imagine you have a million units of animal suffering and five units of human suffering perhaps if the who do you call it um, perhaps that if animals are less worth have less worth then well that pain although it has more units each of those units are worth less it's like having maybe 100 pennies and then you have like a $1,000 note or something like that like your the amount of pennies is significantly although there's more is actually less than the $1,000 note so I think that's also a, perhaps a, another way you could go around doing it by just saying well animals worth less and and hence mm -hmm. their their problem of suffering is less significant not necessarily that I'll, I think that's the best theology to go around it because I mean people might not like that premise but I mean, I think it is definitely a possible response, if you got what I mean. I think that, like, oh, no, you prefer to add, Caleb. Oh, well, I was just going to say it sounds like that point about, like, well, animals not having... Now, I think animals do have souls, of course. I think that the, any living thing has a soul, but I, they don't have a rational soul would be the, at least the traditional Aristotelian perspective. But anyways... Um, but it kind of gets into the neo. It sounds like it gets into the neo-Cartesian or neo-Thomistic hypothesis that animals don't have enough rationality or, or consciousness to recognize they're in pain. And and of course, um, William Lane Craig defends that type of view, at least for most animals. And cosmic skeptic um, criticizes him for that or criticizes that view. And I don't think so. I think that that. And I'm not saying Josh. I'm not saying you're defending that view, but. Um, I think that that view gets unfairly written off because we don't necessarily know that animals are in pain, but we do act like they are. And that, I think, is Alex's point. It's not like you're going to go torment an animal and he's saying, well, why not? And it's because we do think that they do suffer some amount of pain. So I do think that that hypothesis is difficult to defend. Um, I mean, even, even if you want to say animals don't have souls, I don't know that it then becomes... I don't, I don't know that that gets us out of the weeds, really. But, but I understand, Josh, you're saying that maybe their suffering is less. And, I mean, I would agree that humans have more value than animals, but um, I, I do still think there is moral significance in their suffering. But. 
Yeah, perhaps I could also respond to something that Spartan theology says somewhere up there in response to my first thing about natural law. But something that, like, what did he say? He said, God could make the laws of nature whatever he wanted them to be, right? And I think there was something following from that which, which says something about, like, well, mm -hmm. maybe these natural laws, like, could, like, you could have natural laws but not explain certain disasters. I mean, I think I'll disagree with that because, as I've said before, I think it's very difficult for God to have gravity and then not have a tree fall. Or at the same time, or in another way, it's perhaps quite difficult for God to create because if God creates another set of laws perhaps then you have to be open to another set of reality another set of the universe right like the the what is happening in the world would be very different if God changes the natural laws and I'm not saying humans would not survive in another universe I'm sure God could create humans in a way that they could survive in another universe but at the same time maybe that universe will also have different forms of suffering instead of deers getting crushed by trees they're actually floating in the sky and then the tree comes up from the ground and hits them in the head and then they fall down into the ground and then dies like I mean there perhaps in like another natural law there's also another problem so like I think that just to say well natural laws we just want some natural laws to support some good things or just support life but then at the same time but then at the same time like there is some other problems which come from the natural laws I mean like you have to say well you can't make your cake and eat it as well like you can't just say well I want some parts of the laws and I don't want the other parts of the laws like some things do happen as a result of laws and like there's another thing which said um the notion of fall contains a concept of gravity okay let's just imagine a world without gravity I'm sure like perhaps like uh you could have a tree flying around without gravity in a random like axis and it just hits a deer and by concussion the deer dies or something like that right like no matter where you look at it I think you'll ultimately realize that random problems can happen under different circumstances and it's and I think it's wrong to just say well I don't really like those laws or I don't really like those circumstances therefore there is like therefore there is like no reason to say that animals suffering from this law what am I even saying I lost my train of thought but I'm just saying that like you can't just have like laws and then like not have the consequences there are consequences to everything if you got what I mean yeah, well, I agree with you. Yeah, there's going to be cons any law-like universe is going to have um, unavoidable consequences from those laws. I do think it's a fair point to ask, though, like, if God's going to create a new heavens and new earth that is a, a physical reality, um, or even if it's somewhat immaterial, it still seems like that's I'm I'm hoping that's going to be a world that there's not going to be suffering at all. Um, so that, that is a point I think worth it. And I'm not saying you can't address that, but I, I think that maybe is where they're coming from. And um, I, I think it's conceivable God could create a world with laws, but no suffering. And that's kind of where I try to go with my theodicy. But, um, but one other point I wanted to raise is that there are some Christians who defend a view that God's not a moral agent at all. and He has no obligation. So anything like mm -hmm. the problem of suffering just wouldn't touch their view. Now, I disagree with those Christians, but that is a view. They would watch Alex's video and say, well, that doesn't affect their view. And some Thomists and probably some Calvinists take that perspective. Again, I don't agree with it, but it is important since he's saying this is a problem for Christianity. Well, there's, there's a large group of Christians that would just disagree with his premise right off the bat. But I think it's just important mm -hmm. to be aware of that. Yeah, I think with like with animal <laughs> suffering, um, we have to realize like there's a lot of options on the table for the Christian in terms of like answering like different theodicies and such. 
Um, so it's not like, and it's not like Alex is trying to make it sound like Christians are just like left speechless, but it, I think there are a lot of options out there um, for the Christian, even like just even reading um, this paper that I read today by Josh, it was like, well, there's a lot out there um, that's thought about. This is not something that is new um, in regards to like the problem of evil, though it's obviously like underdeveloped compared to like probably like more human-based evils. Um, so yeah, guys, if you don't have anything else to cover here, we can start to wrap things up unless you want to add anything else with regards to animal suffering. Um, I don't have a lot else. I see somebody said they were interested in debating me. Yeah, I mean, I'll debate anybody, so, but <laughs> sure. Anytime, anywhere, Caleb is ready to show up. <laughs> they can DM you on Twitter, I guess, if people want to get in contact with you, Caleb. Is that the best way? Yeah, they can DM me or just or leave a message on my channel or whatever. Caleb's like the Mike Tyson of um, Christian apologetics, where he'll just go after, go fight anyone, anytime. Um, so respect to Caleb. But uh, Caleb and Josh, thank you so much for joining me. Do you guys have like final thoughts you want to share? Um, and then feel free to like share how people can follow you guys. Um, you both deserve a lot more subscribers than you have now. Um, you guys are, are growing, so feel free to share. If Caleb's, if Caleb can be contacted on Twitter, I think I might be the least tech savvy person in this. In this room right now, I could only be contacted by email, or if you reply to the comment section of my videos, I I actually have zero places where you could reach out to me. So I think I might have to get better on the tech front. Yeah, like if you want to uh, find me, I just just check out Apologetics for All. You could I also have a book called Christianity for All, which is basically a guide to Christianity and stuff like that. You could you could just go check that out. And yeah, just. If you enjoyed the content I normally talk about Nietzsche and Dostoevsky, then just go check my channel out. That's why I mainly talk about on my channel. So, yep, that's basically it from me. Thanks for having me here, Zach. Mm -hmm. Always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed this discussion. And yeah, if anybody has any questions or anything, they can always message me some way or another. So, Yeah, thank you so much, both of you, for coming on in... Um... Thank you, Jesus, was reading your book. Josh Yen has a book. It's a good book. I started reading it too, actually. So, And I think Caleb's an author as well. So I think your book's out of stock on Amazon. So it's kind of sad. Um, but thank you so much, both of you guys, for coming on today to talk about animal suffering. Um, Alex, your video is great. If you're somehow listening to this channel with like 2,000 subscribers when you have like 400,000, um, I hope you enjoyed and it was just a, a fair criticism. Um, but it was a lot of fun. And I appreciate both of you guys for coming on. I appreciate... Uh, thank you, Jesus, Kelvy, Little YEC, Spartan Theology, Danny, everyone else who came in today. Um, and if you enjoyed the channel, um, please consider becoming a patron on patreon.com slash adherent apologetics. Um, your support means a lot to me, so you can do that, and I'd appreciate it. Or you can just become a member on YouTube. Just press the join button. Um, but also be sure to subscribe to Apologetics for All and Dry Apologetics channels. So thank you guys one last time for coming on. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Have a good one, and God bless.